Hey friends, welcome back to From Your Center, a podcast to help you move through life, work, and the chaos of the modern world with clarity, groundedness, and vibrancy. We're from totally different worlds, medical science and performing arts, yet both reveal the same truth. Unlocking your highest potential begins within. With research, personal stories, and coaching, we help you integrate body, mind, and spirit to take courageous action toward a life well-lived. I'm Adriana Baer. And I'm Leah Duranti. We're glad you're here. Let's jump in. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Q&A session. This is where we answer one of your questions in a little bit more depth. So today... We have a question about neuroplasticity. And of course, Leah is going to answer this one for us. So good morning, Leah. Hello. So my experience of hearing about neuroplasticity first was actually in graduate school when the head of my program, Ann Bogart, was like, guys, we need to be studying this new science. And this was 2007, 2008. So Mm -hmm. not that long ago in the world, were we suddenly being um, shared with that there was this idea that our brains could change. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting to kind of delve into this question of, or this like understanding of this word from the perspective of arts and how we can change people's brains with the work that we do. But I have a very kind of surface level understanding of the idea that neuroplasticity means our brains can change. But you have a much deeper nuanced understanding of the science. So Q&A, what's the A? What's the A? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited to talk about this always. Um, The brain, the nervous system, the way that we think, the way that we change is so important to all of our lives. Neuroplasticity is this idea that our brains are not set in stone or static. So it is an extremely dynamic organ, and our brain is constantly learning. So we have neurons in our brain. Those are the cells that make up the nervous system. And the way that those cells communicate with each other, the connections that they make can change all the time. Mm-hmm. And this evidence and the science and this idea that our brain is constantly learning that uh, the kind of the size and the shape of our brain can even change depending on what you are doing with your life. All of this is fairly new. It's only since about the 1990s. We really did think like once you learn something, it was almost like a computer program in the sense that like it got downloaded and now the software's there and and that's how things work. We understand it to be significantly more dynamic. One of the first studies that we saw to know that brains can change was actually when we started to get functional MRI studies. So seeing how, so the MRI itself to see the structure of the brain, but then the functional MRI to see how blood flow and to see what lights up when people are inside the MRI machine. One of the first studies, which was really interesting is cab drivers in New York City. Remember cabs? We don't I have those do. Taxis, anyone? 
now it's an app on our phone that says Uber or Lyft, but there once was <laughs> yellow cars driving around big cities. And these people had to have the entire, ma- and there was no GPS, right? There was no mobile phone right, right, sitting right. in the front. There was no GPS in the car. There was no, you know, Waze app on the phone telling them how to get around traffic. These drivers had to memorize the complex streets of New York City or Boston or San Francisco and know how to get around. And when they looked at, and they're people who every day, this was their work, this is what they were doing, being good at it, there was incentive, knowing the streets, being able to get a passenger quickly from one side of the city to the other meant you could pick up another passenger. Um, Their brains, when they looked at them in the MRI, had like gigantic compared to, and you know, I don't know what the exact differentiation of size, but gigantic compared to the average person in their spatial understanding zone of their brain. So that area of their brain itself, they could see was measurably larger than another person who didn't Mm -hmm. spend time thinking about maps, thinking about connection, thinking about distances and locations. Um, And it's where we, so not only can the brain change, but you can almost like build up the musculature of different parts of the brain, depending on what you're using your brain for. Wow. So another study that's really interesting about neuroplasticity and how we understand it and why we know it works and how we know that the brain actually changes is, and they do these experiments on animals. My understanding is that it is done ethically. (laughs) Okay. But... (laughs) This is how we understand because we can't do these kinds of experiments on humans. But what's really interesting about kind of sensory input from the external world and how our brain processes it is if you looked at that functional MRI, there would be one particular place in your brain where your index finger, the sensations of your index finger, go directly to that. Kind of, it's called the neocortex, I believe, the outer aspect of the brain. Okay. And so when that finger moves or something touches it, that part of the brain lights up. That's where the processing happens. And then the the middle finger and the ring finger and the pinky and the thumb all have separate areas. And so they noticed when they found animals with like a digit, so this this would be monkeys, um, that was amputated maybe. It, it, again, I don't believe that was done by the scientists. I think that was like they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they looked at a brain of a, of a monkey who was, didn't have their index finger. There was no longer area in the brain for an index finger. That area got taken over by the thumb and the other fingers. So they saw that. So then they did the experiment, and the experiment was they um, surgically put the index finger and the middle finger together. Oh. And so now the discrimination point on the brain only showed, instead of showing thumb, index finger, middle, ring, and, and pinky, it just showed four digits instead of five digits. Wow. So they surgically put the two fingers together. They re- they scan the monkey's brain. Now there's only four areas on the brain that light up. They surgically separate the two fingers. Three weeks later, they scan the monkey's brain again. And there's five areas of the brain once again to distinguish wow. the sensation that's happening 
on the fingerprints. So like, that's how quickly our brains are um, changing and adapting and because they're not going to, the brain's not going to leave empty space. If that, if that second digit is no longer there, like let's use that space for something else. <laughs> which is I, how it's been, exp- how I've come to understand when people say, you know, if you're blind, your hearing's really strong, your other senses get stronger. It's that the brain is reallocating that space that you no longer need for sight to other things. Mm -hmm. Um, I did read a book about this last year called Live Wired by David Eagleman. It's called Live Wired, The Inside Story of the Ever-Changing Brain. So for those of you who are interested in digging a little deeper into that, that's the one that I, a non-scientist read that I thought was pretty interesting. So that's great. Yeah. And another piece that we know with neuroplasticity is we develop what we call these neural grooves, which we've definitely talked a lot about the neural grooves on this podcast. Um, But that as information flows, it's almost like the groove within your brain gets deeper. But this idea that, that as the neural groove becomes more defined and the connection is made stronger, we actually, it's more, it's easier for information to travel down that track. So it not only gets larger, like that part of the brain would get larger, but it also would get almost even more effective and efficient at that Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of the connection, the strength of the connection. Um, And we understood that, and I think a lot of the interesting research that's come up now is understanding how a brain can change in a moment of trauma right? We're starting to understand how significant traumatic Mm. events can really impact the processing of the brain or the connections that are made in the brain between kind of the emotional centers and our thinking, processing, rational centers. Um, But what's so exciting to be in the field of change work is we're now understanding that we can make those kinds of changes in a positive direction, So we certainly know that within our brain structure and the way the brain learns that negative events are a little bit more like Velcro and positive events are a little bit more like Teflon (laughs) and they slide away. But Mm. because of this process of neuroplasticity, because of this ability to have different neural networks in the brain talk to each other, we can cultivate changes within the brain simply through learning, which is really, Mm. really cool. So that, again, can be emotional learning, that can be physical learning, all those kinds of things. So it is this idea that our brain is constantly making new connections, constantly looking at the sensory inputs that it gets, and wiring and rewiring our brain to best serve us, whatever that that service is. How long does it take to kind of re-groove a pathway? Well, so that's what's been so exciting in really change work and looking at how we can use both the brain and where we're talking about like the emoji, the pink emoji with the <laughs> surface <laughs> and the grooves on it, right? We're talking about the organ that's sitting inside your skull Um, what's so exciting is really the coming together of understanding the, the unconscious or the subconscious mind and how much processing is happening within that brain. Um, and that 
utilizing both the rational thinking parts and the subconscious parts, you can actually do some rewiring really quickly. So like, so I'm thinking of two examples. Let me give you the first example. So the first example is when you have a panic attack, let's say, or you feel anxious going into a social environment, going to a party or going to a big meeting for work or something like that. In your brain, the way that information is stored is kind of the emotional track that plays with that memory the last time you were at a party and felt uncomfortable or anxious or worried. That part gets gets held within the brain in a different area than the kind of visual memory that you have of it. And so what's why we talk so much about the body on this podcast too is because the felt sensation in our body, that emotional feelings that we get, the feelings in our body um, are stored in a different area of the brain. And so you can actually access the neural network that is associated with feeling anxious or nervous or palms sweaty when you're in a social situation. And you can introduce your brain to a new feeling. So you can almost rewrite the emotional track. And that can happen pretty quickly because of the way that neural networks communicate Hmm. with each other. Um, We always talk about repetition here because for it to become a habit, it needs to be done with repetition and consistency. But you can, I believe it's Rick Hansen, he talks a lot about you can practice an emotional state and it can become a neural trait. So the, oh. the, the feeling aspect in is a really powerful way to create change. So how quickly can it happen? I mean, it can happen in, in 10, 15 minutes of talking with somebody and, and reactivating these networks and kind of allowing them to meet each other in a new way because we know when the neurons fire together, they wire together. That's where that phrase comes from. I literally just wrote that down to ask you what that means. Can yeah, you so, that? so if the, we'll just stay here. If the experience is I walk into a party and my, hands start to sweat. I'm getting nervous. I'm feeling anxious. I don't know. I don't want to be there. I don't know if people like me. Like I'm getting all of these. I'm nervous. All of these physical feelings inside our body. And that's kind of what is recorded. Those neurons are firing together and wiring together. So social situation, anxiety is wiring together. You can, we can separate out social situation and now access confidence or calm Mm. because that is also in your brain and body's Mm. memory. You Mm. have felt calm and confident and just excited and at ease before in your life. And through neuroplasticity, that's what's so cool that that is how our brain works and how memories are organized is that we can access them so that now this neural network that once when it saw social situation, whatever that trigger was, and immediately activated anxiety, we can now introduce when we see that external trigger, we can wire it to I'm feeling confident and calm and relaxed and and good. So 
that takes it's, it's conscious so cool. and that takes conscious practice, right? Yeah. So the rewiring. That's like, yeah. The rewiring. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's, um, and then when they become, when you practice that and that's like two to three minutes is what I like, I'll give my mm. clients like an exercise to practice after we do the work together. You know, it's not 45 minutes of, <laughs> <laughs> It's really cool when we get these systems working together, both the subconscious and the conscious mind and the physical body, um, that they can, we can rewire at the cellular level kind of what's happening at the brain. And so then how you are responding or reacting or perceiving the world that you're getting from the sensory inputs outside you. Wow. Um, that was so interesting and helpful and fast. And the, because it's a podcast, I just have to tell our friends, Leah did not have any notes just then. All <laughs> I said was, how does neuroplasticity work? And she just explained that whole thing. You real smart. Oh, <laughs> um, that was great. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So our friend who asked this question, you know who you are. Let us know if you have any further questions. And for the rest of you, I hope this Q&A was useful. Thank you, Leah. You're welcome. Bye. Bye, friends. You guys, I made you a nervous system quiz, like those personality quizzes from Cosmo back in the day. These super quick seven questions will show you how your nervous system is currently wired. And of course, I've got details on how to shift it for more calm, ease, resiliency, and joy. I'm so excited for you to have this tool. And I have got a fun download called Beyond Once Upon a Time. 15 ways to start your speeches and brainstorm ideas that won't bore your audience. Get in on these through the links in our show notes. 